You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, I'm Jonathan Bartolini. With more than 20 locations across the U.S., Zantara Parks and Resorts serves people visiting Yellowstone, the Grand Canyon, Napa Valley, and a number of national and state parks. In line with its connection to nature, Zantara has been taking steps to lower its environmental impacts with energy efficiency measures, waste reduction, and choosing local and sustainable foods. Greener World Media contributor Sarah Feister-Gale spoke with Chris Lane from Zantara about how to green up dining facilities, the importance of environmental management systems, how to bring down your energy needs, and what it takes to get your suppliers to cut their waste. Chris Lane, right? Tell me, what is your title at Zantara? Yeah, I'm the Vice President of Environmental Affairs for Zantara Parks and Resorts, and I oversee all environmental affairs as well as some health and safety issues uh, at all the national parks, state parks, and private resorts that Zantara owns and or operates across the country, which is at about 26 locations um, across the country. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, as I said, this article is looking at, at dining facilities in particular, um, and many of our readers are, are going to be looking at this from a business perspective. So if they have dining halls in their corporate facilities or um, catering facilities, I guess. Um, but I know that you guys have been very progressive with taking a sustainable and green approach to the way you run your operations. Can we start by talking just a little bit about what some of the um, the green or sustainable efforts you've made in the dining facilities in particular? Well, and that's a, I can answer that uh, internally and I'll call it externally because there are a lot of uh, things such as our environmental management system that is certified to the ISO 14001 international EMS standard that inform what we do inside um, our restaurants and as well as on sustainable design of buildings. And we've got a environmental building guidelines that also inform what we do inside our restaurants. So there are some things that are external, such as the EMS, the sustainable building guidelines, as well as our ecometrics, which is what we call our environmental performance metrics tracking system that also relates. So these are external issues, and I, I, th- I imagine you want to talk more about internal, but. These are external issues that, without these things, you, in my opinion, you would you wouldn't be getting things done systematic systematically throughout a company, and you wouldn't do them. You wouldn't be institutionalizing programs as well as if we just say, you know, here are five things we do inside restaurants. So right, right. And, and and I would like to talk about both of them, both both the design of the facilities and the equipment, as well as as your operations. Yeah. So those yeah those are tracking systems and support systems and management systems that. In my opinion, you kind of have to have to make things happen within a restaurant, at least on a large company scale such as ourselves. Okay. So let's talk uh, about those. Let's talk about those external features first. Well, I mean, the EMS, is a, the environmental management system, is, is what, what defines specifically at every operation what our aspects and impacts are. And it just very simply says, um, if you... Uh, here, here are all the things we do: lodging, restaurants, retail, transportation systems, and here are all the impacts associated with all those um, systems. So, restaurant will be one of those. And within restaurant, you've got energy, you've got waste, you've got consumption of water, and then you've got food-related issues, 
and that can be internal as well as external, as you know. So if you purchase organic, sustainable food products, you're impacting beneficially external to the, to the restaurant itself. Right, right. And then we break down through our EMS every one of those categories. Let's just take the restaurant, for example, energy, water, waste, food issues, and there are others as well, uh, toxics as it relates to cleaning and uh, food safety and human health and safety. But just taking a few of them, we break each one of those down and then analyze what can be done on an annual basis uh, to affect change inside a restaurant setting. Okay. So that's sort of that you have the EMS tie to everything. And of course that EMS gets certified through a third party. We conduct internal audits of our EMS to make sure it's working. And then we have a third party auditor um, identify whether the system is working as well for continual improvement and is compliant with the law as well. Now tied to that, Inside our EMS is our Marine Stewardship Council um, chain of custody certification. Again, another third party comes into our operation, looks at our restaurant, and says, follows uh, a complete chain of custody uh, protocol for, and this is something we do as well. We internally audit ourselves to make sure we're serving um, sustainable foods. Now, the one we focus on is salmon. That's the one that is MSC certified as wild, sustainable, um, and healthy. and that has an internal chain of custody protocol as well as a third party to, and it's a lot of work just yeah. to make sure you serve sustainable salmon. Um, but we're willing to go through it because we think it makes a difference. And we're also going down that road of adding more and more species that are sustainable. Um, our fish policy, for instance, banned you know, four fish species that are pretty slam dunks in my opinion. You, know, you don't want to be serving shark, bluefin, tuna, um, right. Atlantic swordfish, and, and, and uh, species like that. Um, but we're expanding them on that as well, banning certain species, and then we're certifying certain species of food, of food we're serving, and then we're um, just also, now I'm jumping into sustainable cuisine, our sustainable cuisine program, um, also just promoting what we're calling sustainable food, sustainable cuisine, and we define that as, and we define it fairly loosely on purpose. It can be local, and we've done a line of 300 miles. 300 miles can be local in any okay. direction. It can be third-party certified as environmentally preferable for whatever reason. So that opens up you know, a, few, a few doors there. I mean, it can be certified organic, but it also might be certified as hormone, antibiotic free. It also might be, so any kind of certification, it might be, and this is a big one. Um, now this takes analysis internally. Is it beneficial to the species or to the environment in a either survivability of the species, so Salmon, for instance, is a sustainable caught species every year. Wild Alaskan salmon is. Um, farmed shrimp is also sustainable. But then are there polluting impacts re relative to it, such as farmed salmon, which have negative impacts relative to the pollution associated with farming those animals? So shrimp is farmed on land. Salmon is farmed in the ocean. We might go with the shrimp. We might not go with um, farmed salmon. Let's, let's back up for a minute and start with the, the facility itself. You when you're building an operation, and I know it's, it goes well beyond the restaurants, but what approach do you take to making the restaurant itself green and designing it in a way that is going to reduce the impact of the operation once you're um, up and running? Okay, let me just clarify that the majority of the cases with Zantera, we're coming into an existing restaurant that is either antiquated or old or okay. just needs improvement. The minority of the cases would be where we build a restaurant from scratch. Now we have built several restaurants from scratch, and what we've done 
um, since I've been on board is we've got our sustainable building guidelines. It's a process document that says if we're going to build something, how are we going to build it? And who are we going to get to build it? And what are the uh, things we're going to consider when we build it? If, you, if you're familiar with sustainable design, the, the hardest part of it is the herding cat portion of it where you, you've got 20 different entities, architects, engineers, electrical, plumbers, carpet installers, roof, roofers, getting them all to agree on what we're doing and then document it is the hard part. So this document uh, sets up a process for moving forward. It does not necessarily require that every restaurant be LEED certified. It does not necessarily require that every restaurant be XYZ sustainable. So it doesn't set the standard. It says you must pursue sustainability and whatever that comes out on the other end of the pipe is what we'll be happy with if we go through this, right, this process, the design charrette, hiring a green architect, hiring a green mechanical engineer, a green electrical. You know, some of these people we've discovered, if you get three or four of the top guys, the contractor, maybe three of the subs um, as ultra green and, and they understand sustainability, the, everything falls into place from there, there on. Um, you know, we've got some LEED certified buildings. We've got the LEED Annie Creek Restaurant and Retail Shop at Crater Lake, which is a LEED Silver certified building. And I won't bore you with all the features that we did, to, or I can if you want, features that we did to um, make it green. And then there's other cases, such as Zion National Park at Zion Lodge, where we've got this building that's, a, you know, I don't know, 50 years old. It would be 100, but I think the building burnt down in the 40s or 50s and they replaced it. But, you know, an old building with old equipment. And we took numerous steps to green that up. We said, well, what appliances can we use that are the most efficient, on-demand steam, getting rid of a fuel oil boiler and replacing it with propane. Fuel oil can spill. Fuel oil is dirty burning. We went through the process of, okay, well, we can't rebuild the building from the ground up. It's historic. We're stuck with the building. What can we do? Okay, well, lighting, a slam dunk. Replace all the lighting um, in, the, in the kitchen area. Uh, with more efficient lighting in the dining area. Um, at Bryce Canyon, for instance, we've got compact fluorescents in a restaurant setting, which is pretty rare because um, if you know anything about lighting, you know, people think they want this warm, cozy feeling with the only an incandescent can give you or a um, metal halide or something like that can give you. But um, we are still using compact fluorescents in many restaurant settings and with sconces that give you that warm feeling. And we're using a high-quality lamp that gives you um, a color rendering index, and a color temperature that is warm, and, and 2700 Kelvin, which is very close to the incandescent. So lighting is an issue. Um, I think the big, biggest, most innovative restaurant success, and it's not very sexy, that we've had on the energy side is variable speed hood controls. Across the country, every restaurant in America goes on at 6 a.m. for breakfast, and they close it, they shut down at midnight. So you've got 18 hours of a, those hood exhaust, the exhaust, the um, grease exhaust off the, the, the smoke off the, the stove tops. Yeah. Every building has that. There are you know, one, two, five, ten horsepower motors that run 18 hours a day, 365 days a year, whether the hamburger is cooking or not. So we've got one that, you know, one hamburger is 2%, five hamburgers is 20% or whatever, I'm making the numbers up. 50 hamburgers might be 70%, and 100 hamburgers might be 100%. So it not only saves electricity on the, the fans and motors, but the biggest savings comes from if you take a smoke stick and uh, you put that in your dining room and follow the smoke in the dining room. When someone opens the kitchen door, the waiter comes out of the kitchen door, usually the smoke is going straight into the kitchen. 
so you're following the path of the air, and if you follow it, it goes straight up the exhaust and out the, the, the roof. So what you're doing is throwing conditioned air, whether it be heated or air conditioned, straight out the roof, wasting ridiculous amounts of electricity, natural gas, propane, whatever fossil fuel you're using to heat or cool your building. The system at Mount Rushmore was about $20,000, and the return on investment was under two years. Wow. So, I mean, this is a slam dunk. Nobody knows about it. Very few people are using them, and um, and they work. So it's how just, does it work? Does it sense how much power is needed, or do you set it based on how you're using the, the kitchen? It modulates. It sets. It has an infrared um, sensor and a CIA carbon monoxide sensor as well, and it senses when you know a lot of smoke or a little bit of smoke is going up the stack. And when no smoke is going off, it shuts down. It's pretty neat at Mount Rushmore when the guy, you know, if you think about it, when people cook, it's usually two, three hours, you know, at a time. Right. And then nothing for a couple hours, then two or three hours, then nothing for a couple hours. And so this system's shutting down, you know, half the time. And, and now the only trick is then you've got to modulate your makeup air inside your building. So you have to, this has to talk to your air handlers in your building, which is not a big deal, but it has to be electrically connected. And, and you know, they're, you know, they're not easy to install. You need a professional to do it, and not many people out there are doing it. You said the system cost $20,000 at Mount Rushmore? Yeah, now that's for a humongous kitchen. We're talking big. So, I mean, the average restaurant in America is not going to be the size. And that was actually an unusually expensive system um, because we had to do some rewiring that you wouldn't have to do in a normal situation. But the average system is about ten grand, and it will pay for itself in a year or two. I know that you guys also do a lot with uh, food scrap recycling and uh, and your waste management. Can you tell me about that? Well, and let me be clear. We, we've got a variety of um, – I'm going to try to caveat every, all my answers with the truth. Okay. So that you don't get greenwashed and you don't get marketing hyperbole. And, you know, everyone's claiming to be green these days, but I'm trying to give you the facts. So when you look at all our properties um, – some do a really, I mean, I'll tell you right now, the most amazing job you can, I'd say one of the best jobs in the country on managing waste associated with restaurants, and some don't. Um, the majority, the bulk of our waste related to restaurants is being addressed in numerous ways, and here are a few examples. Um, at Yellowstone, at Mount Rushmore, at Zion, coming up Bryce soon, South Rim uh, as well, we, we manage food waste. Um, to the extent that, um, for instance, at Yellowstone, where we are composting about 60% of the entire waste stream. Some are estimating, and that goes to the highest 70 um, of the entire waste stream. So all the food waste being composted at Zion, at Mount Rushmore, at Yellowstone, at um, I'm forgetting the other one, but we've got composters at some of these smaller locations. Uh, so we're capturing all of our food waste. Uh, and a, a high percentage of organics. Yellowstone's capturing all organics. So that's food waste, that's paper, anything that can be composted is being composted. I can't get full credit for that because the Park Service has a $4 million commercial grade composting facility in West Yellowstone that we are using in our partnership with them. Um, but at Zion, at Bryce, at Mount Rushmore, I mean, we're the guys doing it. It's all from start to scratch. We're the guys managing our waste. We've got recycling um, diversion rates company-wide, national park-wide, a 51%, 42% company-wide. Um, that's all waste. Um, we recycle, for example, Yellowstone, about 700,000 pounds of glass, aluminum, plastic, paper per year. That's just an example of Yellowstone. 
Um, so as it relates to the restaurant, um, composting is a big thing. But the other thing we've worked on is dematerialization. We, um, all of our cleaners, our soaps, detergents, things that we're using have been condensed. We work with um, Ecolab to have, and they've, you know, they've got all the marketing materials on it. But I can objectively tell you they are correct when they say they've got you know, on some of their soaps are concentrated to the extent that 90% reduction in materials being shipped. So we, we are aware of that. We work on that extensively. We've got recycling programs in all our restaurants um, where we're capturing. I guess, if, and this is you know years and years of auditing, probably 90% of what can be recycled is being recycled out of our restaurants. And that's it's pretty easy in a restaurant because the bulk of that is um, tin, aluminum cans, plastic jugs, all the bulk containers. We buy everything in bulk. Um, now, what's really neat, I think, is, and this is the sexy stuff you probably want to hear about that maybe everybody's doing, but it is kind of neat, is, you know, at Mount Rushmore, for instance, if you go through our restaurant there, you're going to, it's kind of a cafeteria style um, where you order your food, grab and go, like you see at ski lodges and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you, uh, you grab all your stuff, you go through the line, you sit down with a tray, and there's just not much on your tray to throw away. You know, we're wrapping things in cellophane, and we're not using big plastic styrofoam. We banned styrofoam in our company completely. Um, we have our to-go containers at many, not all, locations are PLA, polylactic acid, biodegradable containers. Um, but if you go up Mount Rushmore as an example, um, there's just not much to throw away. You've got your paper napkin, which is 30% post-consumer content anyway. Um, our cups are reusable. Um, the, we use silverware, so it's all reusable. Um, there's just not much to throw away. The plates are reusable. I mean, nothing's plastic. Nothing's, the only plastic we use is cellophane to cover things to preserve their life a little bit. But everything's fresh to made, made to order, and, and there's just no, no waste, which I think is phenomenal. You'll see that at many of the Yellowstone operations. Um, uh, for instance, bulk dispensing of almost everything, ketchup, mayonnaise, um, so you don't have all salt, the pepper. Yeah, we do away with the packets. Now, let me be honest. They're not at every single location. Some locations have packets, and they're, the reason we don't do it at every single location is, is many, uh, many-fold, because at Yellowstone, for instance, you, have a, you might have a restaurant that's the only restaurant for 40, 50 miles in any direction, the only building. So some things are so remote and get such seasonality that we just bring in temporarily some you know, packet-type materials. Sure. Um, but most locations, it's bulk dispensing of all the amenities, it's reduction in um, packaging, which is really big for us. That's, we've had big success, bulk everything, not just dispensing, but receiving everything in bulk and asking our vendors. We send a letter out to all our vendors requesting reduction in packaging, looking at recyclability of materials, and we thought we'd get beat up by it, and what we found out was people liked it and people were into it. Hey, how can we help? Well, here's an idea I have. Um, so that's gone a long way as well. So, and and, and company-wide, real quick, company-wide, I think, we're recycling, uh, oh, don't let me say this number wrong, 6 million pounds of recyclables. I'm sorry, diverting. Now, under diverting, we call recycling as a portion of diverting, dematerialization, reuse, all come under, under diverting. But we're diverting about 6 million pounds per year right now. As I said, that's about a 51% um, diversion rate um, company-wide. I'm sorry, 51 at the parks. 42% company-wide. Okay, okay. Tell me about, going back to the waste composting, how, does, how do you do that? Is it just gathered up in, in bins and, and dumped in a compost site out back? 
Well, it's good to ask because it's fun to say, oh, we compost waste, but the real truth behind the story is it takes a lot of work, it takes staff time, it's messy business, it's not fun. Uh, the compost takes you know weeks on end, and sometimes we're in northern climates where it takes months on end for the compost to, to become compost. Um, and then you've got all this compost that you've got to do something with. Right. So that wasn't easy either. We thought it would be easy giving it away, but it's easy to get rid of compost in cities. It's hard to get rid of it, believe it or not, when you're in the countryside because people use compost. You can't just throw it anywhere in many of our kitchens, not all. We don't have everybody composting. Uh, in Ohio, we don't do as good a job with composting. A lot of food waste goes right into the trash. But in our national parks um, and in Silverado, we have food waste collection bins and those just pile up, and by the end of the day, we've got a staff person that then hauls that to our compost facility, which at Zion, Mount Rushmore, the Earth Tubs, which at Yellowstone is the commercial-grade compost facility, and that gets transported and then dumped there and then managed by a staff person that is in charge of you know, drying it out, getting the right carbon to nitrogen to moisture content, turning it, and things of that nature. Usually these people that are in charge of compost are also in charge of recycling in many cases. So they've got full-time jobs. Okay, dirty jobs. It's a lot of work, but on the other hand, if you're small, it's you know, easier for someone else to do as collateral duties rather than dedicating an entire staff person, which is what we, we have to do. Right, right. So what advice do you have for operations that are maybe not as, have not come as far in, in making their facilities sustainable. It sounds like a lot of what you're doing is common sense, that it, it doesn't take a lot of investment. Tell me how you would get started. What advice would you have for, for a dining facility on getting started? I think that the, I hate to go back to the process because the process is the most boring and not exciting thing. But the first thing anyone needs to do, whether they're small or big, is set up a process. And you know, for us, it's the environmental management system. That is the process that informs what we're going to do, that, that creates the assigns, assigns responsibility, dedicates staff, um, puts up deadlines, sets goals, objectives, targets. Um, so I think everyone, anyone who wants to green up their restaurant needs to first sit down with their entire staff and say, how can we ask the question, how can we green this restaurant? Because there's a thousand things you can do, of which probably only a hundred make economic sense of which probably only 50 you have time to do, of which only 30 you'll do very well. So you need to go through that process of distillation to look at all the things you can do. Well, are we going to do lead? Well, lead for existing building or lead for renovation or core and shell? Well, we need to ask all those questions and go through the process. So, um, and then the next thing would be you need to dedicate staff. So if, you have, if you're big enough, you can dedicate a full-time person to be environmental sustainability guru that would be great. If you're not, collateral duty is the next step. Maybe someone, a manager, can also be the green team leader and set up a green team to do these meetings. If you're even smaller and can't do that, then I would tell you to focus on energy. Get a consultant or talk to your local utility and, and start energy programs. If you, Energy and waste are the two ones that have money savings. Well, water as well, but um, just an energy program is so fundamental to anything anyone would ever do in any CFO will never say no to it. Um, uh, and the easiest energy program, we have an energy um, management and food service program, which is just an energy awareness program that says the, the, the things you can do to save energy in a restaurant, you'd be stunned at how much waste there is. 
is just turning things on and off at the right time. Um, so you do a sticker program that says above light, light switches, and you say, this thing goes on at 5 a.m., goes off at 5 p.m., or it's only on between noon and 1. Um, for instance, lights inside of um, coolers and walk-in coolers. You know, the lights usually go on at 5 a.m., they go off at midnight. Everything in a restaurant typically goes on at 5 a.m. and off at midnight. So if you set up a sticker program that informs when things should be turned on and off, well, when do you turn your coffee maker on? Well, that one goes on pretty early, but maybe it doesn't need to be on all day, that kind of thing. Right. And then simple retrofits on lighting, on um, building envelope. I mean, these are so simple on their slam dunks. You know, gaskets on coolers to keep, keep them, changing, cleaning your coils on your chillers and your HVAC units and your ice makers, have everything maintained and serviced regularly, whatever it may be, whatever appliance it may be. Retrofitting to the most efficient appliances, appliances they typically pay for themselves um, pretty quickly. All the energy stuff is starting to pay because the cost of energy keeps going up. Right, right. So that's an easy sell. And then talk about, it sounds like the reduction of packaging and uh, dematerialization. How do you get that started? That's a little bit harder one, only because um, you know, the average guy, you need a computer, you need to have your list of your vendors, you need to be able to write well. I don't know if you know, you know, guy busting tables can do that as a collateral duty, you know what I mean? So what you do is you get all your vendors um, and you, you, you create your list of them and usually, I don't know if you're a company, if you're a restaurant owned by a ma major corporation, there becomes another problem. Do you go to the corporate headquarters and have the corporate headquarters send that out to all the vendors company-wide, or do you just deal with your local vendors? So that's another thing that a sustainability person or an environmental manager can negotiate those waters and, and figure out, okay, how do we start this? Who do we contact? Is it 1,000 vendors or 100 or 10? Um, but we start by, we have a form letter that we send everybody. And we say, look, we care about the environment, and if you're going to work with us, you have to care. You have to care about the environment as well, not can or should. You have to, because it's a competitive marketplace out there, and we can find somebody else to give us our French fries, and we can find somebody else to give us our tomato sauce. So you ship to us in bulk. You help us dematerialize, and it benefits them as well. So typically, everyone's on board. the The world's kind of come a long way in the last, I'd say, ten years. Um, very rarely do you find someone who overtly opposes you a vendor that is, on various environment, dematerialization, waste reduction, um, efficiency, um, whether it be shipping and things like that. Um, very rarely are you opposed by those things because they, they tend to save everybody money. It's just a headache. But, right. but, but the, you know, everyone gets it. Everyone knows, okay, we're, we know we're getting here. We're trying to um, you know, reduce waste. And a big one, another big one is not just dematerializing, but sending materials that are recyclable and, and the packaging issue where, okay, if you're going to send us packaging, well, send us something that's recyclable. Now, don't send us these foam things that only fit one container. Um, at Rushmore, we recycle all our packaging peanuts. I mean, 100%. All our car guard, 100%. We have a stamp that we put on boxes and on um, anything, anything that's, that we reuse so that a guest or a vendor or anybody will know, oh, okay, this looks old because it's reused. Boom, we stamp it and say, this product is a recycled material, a re reused material that Mount Rushmore is using. So if you see something used looking on it, they'll excuse it. Okay, yeah, and, and I would guess that your clients support that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the negative feedback we get is 
typically, well, why aren't you doing more of this? And how come you didn't do it this way here, but I saw it that way there? Consistency is the biggest thing we struggle with. Um, and the reason is because every location, unfortunately, we're not like a Marriott or Hilton or a McDonald's where in theory everything's the same across the country. Right. We, our biggest struggle is we've got Silverado, five-star, high-end, high-tech, brand new, and then we've got um, you know, Petrified Forest, which is older, historic, you know, lower, um, fewer staff, less sophistication. Um, our Petrified Forest operation, get this, the guy, the general manager there, and, and some of this comes down to the heart and soul and the culture of the humans you hire. Um, you got a guy or general manager there who will dumpster dive. He's gone in and looked at you know, what's in the dumpster and assessed and weighs everything. He literally weighs every bag of garbage that goes out of his operation. He recycled 76% of everything that went into that operation. And all it is is a cafeteria, restaurant, and a retail shop and a gas station. But you know, there you get a guy like that. You can't find people like that, and you can't train a guy to do something like that. Yeah. That's just you know, a cultural value is what it becomes. We're lucky in that respect. We, we've got some amazing people with amazing ideas, with true heart and soul green values. And, and that you can't train to, and that you can't, you can't institutionalize. All you do is you know, cross your fingers and hope you hire the right guy. Right, right. So before I let you go, any last words of advice? And how to do this, or, or why it's a good idea? Restaurants, you mean speaking specifically to restaurants? Right. Restaurants, dining, cafeterias. Well, I mean, I'm, I glossed over a lot of the, the sexiest stuff. I mean, sustainable cuisine, organic foods—they pay for themselves. People want—they associate that with if it's organic and sustainable and good for the environment. Well, you know what? It's also healthier. It's also tastier. And we've seen that, and let me, sorry to backtrack one thing, but some sexy things like um, doing away with bottled beer in some locations has been beneficial to us, where we've saved 10,000 pounds in glass in exchange for beer on tap that's A, local, B, it's, I don't know, not fresh, but you know what I mean, on tap, comes right out of the draft. Um, there's a savings. The food thing is big. The energy thing is huge. Um, restaurants consume an inordinate amount of energy relative to um, their surroundings if they're located in a hotel or in a retail um, setting um, because, because they've got to cook and things like that. So efficiency and energy is big. Reducing waste, I think, is the hard one. It's the, it's the sexy one that everyone talks about. Oh, you recycle, but it's difficult. It takes staff. It takes training. Um, I'd say it's more challenging. Sustainable design of buildings. I mean, everyone's doing it now. If you're not doing it, you're in the, the dark ages. So if you're designing a restaurant from the scratch, from scratch, uh, you absolutely should design it as sustainable as possible. It's going to pay dividends over time. Well, I think this covers everything I wanted to talk about, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you all as well. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.